Good. Well, let me pray uh, for our time in the Word this morning, and then we will we will dig in. So, Lord, I ask that you would meet us now in Psalm 119. Thank you so much, Father. By the Holy Spirit, you you gave the psalmist. We aren't sure who wrote this psalm, but you gave him perfect truth from you as he's showing us how to pray how to deepen devotion to you, how to deepen passion for you. Thank you, Lord, for what we're learning. And I pray that you would do it again this morning. Help me, give me wisdom, give me power in the Holy Spirit and clarity of mind. And open our hearts up, Lord, speak to us. And none of us would leave here without having met you in the word now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Let's turn to Psalm 119. And as I always say, if you need a Bible, we want you to have one that you can look on with. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. And uh, Psalm 119 is on page 512 in the Bibles that we're passing out. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 119, verses 25 through 32. Now while you're turning there, let me remind you about why this psalm is so, or first of all, why the book of Psalms is so important. The book of Psalms First of all, it's given by the Holy Spirit. It's perfect truth from God. And the Psalms is a collection of prayers that the nation of Israel sang and prayed when they gathered corporately and individually. So it's a Holy Spirit-given collection of prayers. So I would encourage you that one of the best ways to learn to pray then would be to open up the Psalms. And to pray through the Psalms, not in some kind of a rote, mechanical way, but meaningfully from the heart, to pray through the Psalms, because you'll be learning how the Holy Spirit wants us to pray. No better source than God the Holy Spirit for learning how to pray. So that's why the book of Psalms is so important. And then here's why Psalm 119 is so important. It's because in Psalm 119, we read about a man who's praying for more devotion to God. He's praying, stirring up love for God, the fear of God, obedience to God, passion for God, zeal for God. So here is a Holy Spirit given prayer for those who want to grow in devotion to God. So it just dawned on me this week, one of the best ways to grow in devotion to God then would be to pray through Psalm 119, which is why we're studying it so that it'll help you to pray this psalm. And in today's passage, verses 25 to 32, the author mentions an aspect of prayer that I think many believers neglect. And he tells us that this aspect of prayer brings great benefits. So here's an aspect of prayer that lots of us probably neglect, which brings great benefit. I say we dig in and figure out what that aspect is so we can grow in it and experience the benefits from it. So let's look at what he says. In verses 25 to 32, start with verse 25. He's praying. He says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. 
I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Eight powerful verses of prayer. As I studied this, I think that one of the most helpful places we can start to figure out what's going on here, what's he praying about, what's happening in him, is just to ask, what's going on with the author? What circumstance, situation is going on? And notice in verse 25 what he says. My soul clings to the dust. Okay, how many of you recently have all of a sudden gotten some unexpected bad news? And you know that feeling, we call it your heart sinks, your stomach sinks, it almost feels like something is happening physically inside of you? Bad news, difficulties, painful things can make your heart, your soul feel like it's sinking. And his soul had sunk so far that it was, he was clinging to the dust. Okay, that's low. You feel how low he was feeling? He was deeply discouraged. He says, my soul clings to the lust. So it's clear that he was feeling very, very low, discouraged at this point. Look what he says in verse 28. My soul melts for sorrow. So something, we don't know the details, But something in his life was giving him sorrow, sorrow that was so intense that it felt like his soul was melting, like his his life, his energy, his passions were just like dissolving and, and dribbling away, so overwhelmed with sorrow. So when I put verses 25 and 28 together, I think it's clear that what's happening is that the psalmist is overwhelmed with sorrow and discouragement. He's overwhelmed with sorrow and discouragement. And I just want to point this out to you because lots of people think that Christians, if you're really a Christian, you won't ever be discouraged or sorrowful. So I just want to call your attention to the fact that here is the psalmist who in many other verses we see he loves the Lord. I love your word more than silver and gold, he says. I want to follow you. I love you. I've put your commands before me. I've walked in the way of faithfulness. This is a godly man. He's a devoted believer. And he is feeling overwhelmed with sorrow and discouragement. So what shows that someone is a Christian is not that you're never overwhelmed with sorrow and discouragement. Okay? That may be good news to some of you. What shows that you're a follower of Jesus is what you do with your sorrow and discouragement. What shows that someone's a follower of Jesus is not that they're always free from sorrow and discouragement. What shows that you're a follower of Jesus is what you do when you are feeling sorrow and discouragement. Like what Chris did that morning this week when you were worried and you took it to the Lord and the Lord met you. Okay? So what does he do then when he's overwhelmed with sorrow and discouragement? This passage gives us the actual prayer that he prays when he's full of sorrow and discouragement. So one thing that I hope you'll see is crystal clear that when people who are following Jesus Christ, when we feel overwhelmed with sorrow and discouragement, what God calls us to do is to pray. Turn our hearts to God through Jesus Christ and talk to God. That's what he does. That's what we're called to do. So how does he pray? 
How does he talk to God? This would be a powerful eight verses to pull out the next time you are overwhelmed with sorrow and discouragement. So how does he pray? Let's just walk through this passage, phrase by phrase, and I want to show you exactly what he prays to God. Okay, first of all, he tells God what's going on in his heart. That's at the, right at the beginning, we, verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Now this is huge, because he does not pretend that he's feeling something differently. He does not put on any kind of a false piety. He doesn't act like everything's fine. Praise you, God. You're glorious. Bless my kids and my work today. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. While deep inside, he's overwhelmed with sorrow and discouragement. No, 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 no. My soul, Father, clings to the dust. I am so discouraged right now. There's just nothing in me. He brings it right to God, exactly what he's feeling. So he tells God what's going on in his heart. That's where he starts. And second, he prays and asks God to give him life. End of verse 25. Give me life according to your word. Now last week we saw him asking about God giving him life, but the context there was protection of his physical life, because remember men were plotting against him. But the context here, he says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. He's talking about a reinvigoration of spiritual life, of faith, of strength, of comfort, of peace, of assurance, of confidence. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. And he, he says, give me life according to your word. What he's saying is, you've promised, Father, in your word, that when we come to you and pray, you will have the power, you will bring your power upon us, and you'll change our hearts. You will give us life. Now, church, this is so encouraging, because there are times for every believer when we feel like there's just no spiritual life in me. I mean, to be honest, we feel that way sometimes. I don't feel much faith, not much love for God. I feel like I'm like just not much life in me. And we can come to God and say, give me life. Give me life according to your word. And he's promised to do it in his word. He has the power to so show us who he is by the work of the Holy Spirit that our faith is restored. Our faith grows and our hearts are changed. And so that's what he's asking God to do. Give me life as you've promised in your word. Third, he reminds God of how God has been faithful in the past. Verse 26, when I told of my ways, notice he's talking about something he did in the past. So when in the past I told you of my ways, you answered me. So what he's talking about here is there's been times in the past where I've come to you and I've told you my ways. I've told you exactly the struggles, the difficulties I'm facing in my heart. And when I've done that, Father, you've always answered me. So why does he remind God about the times when he told God his ways and God answered him? I think there's at least two reasons. I thought of two. One is it would have strengthened his faith. Father, in the past I've come to you like this, told you what was going on, and you've answered me. Do it again. It would have strengthened his faith to pray. And a second reason is I think it would have stirred God's heart for the father to have one of his children say, Father, look at my heart. My soul's clinging to the dust. Give me life. In the past, I've come to you like this, and you've answered me, Father. And the father, it would just stir his heart. Yes, son. Yes, daughter. I will do it again. 
So his faith and God's would be stirred and God's heart would be stirred with verse 26. Fourth, he asks God to teach him his word. It's through the word of God that the Lord shows himself to us so our faith is strengthened. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So when we're feeling faithless, we open up God's word and we say, teach me. Teach me your word. Verse 27, teach me your statutes. I'm sorry, end of 26, beginning of verse 27. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. We're asking God, just like last week's, open my eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. I'm not seeing it. There's just words in a page now. All I'm seeing is my problem. Open my eyes to see who you are. Okay? Fifth, he commits to meditating on God's wondrous works. One of the most powerful ways to receive God's life, to have your faith get strengthened, is to remember what God has done in the past. Okay, like Elijah, the story that Maria was sharing about this morning. This last week in, in my Bible reading schedule, I've been reading about how God delivered Israel from Egypt with mighty signs and wonders. And then Israel was you know, on their way in the Red Sea's in front of them and Pharaoh's armies are behind them and the Red Sea parts and they go across and Pharaoh's armies come and the Red Sea comes back. So encouraging to read about God's mighty works. And so he commits to meditating on God's wondrous works. Verse 28, I will meditate on your wondrous works in the word. And God will use that to strengthen his faith too. Sixth, he tells God more of what's going on in his heart. That's in verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. So he comes back to talking about what's going on inside of him. Again, he's not pretending that he's fine. He's not just kind of going through some routine prayer list while his heart is aching and wounded and being ignored. He's bringing exactly who he is, what's going on inside of him, to the Lord. Seventh, he asks God to strengthen him. He knows God can strengthen us. He knows that God promises with his power, he can bring his power upon us and strengthen our faith, strengthen our hope, strengthen our confidence in him, strengthen our sense of his presence. God can bring his supernatural power upon us and strengthen us. You are not left to your own resources when you are overwhelmed with sorrow and discouragement. God, the living God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit will come and he will strengthen you. And so we ask him, strengthen me. Strengthen me, verse 28. Strengthen me according to your word. Eighth, he asks God to keep the false way, the lies of sin far from him. That's at the beginning of verse 29. He says, put false ways far from me. I think what's going on here is, you know, when when you're feeling uh, sorrowful, discouraged, far from God, we are more vulnerable at those moments, to Satan's lies. We're more vulnerable. Satan's lies start to look like they're true. Right? We're vulnerable at that point to Satan's lies. And so he knows God has the power to to protect him. So he says, keep the false way, keep the deceptions of sin, keep Satan's lies far away from me. Verse 29. Ninth, he again asks God to teach him the word. End of verse 29. Graciously teach me your law. So why is he repeating this request? He already prayed that. By the way, I've heard people 
well-meaning people say that, you know, if you really believed God the first time you prayed a request, you wouldn't need to repeat it. I just don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Uh, Luke 11, 8. Um, Luke 11, 8. I used to know Luke 11, 8. How does Luke 11, 8 go? He's talking about persisting in prayer. Okay, even though... Uh, he will not get up and give him anything. This is the, you know, the man knocking at the door. Even though he will not get up and give the man knocking at the door anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Father, Father, I know, I know it's midnight. Father, it's midnight. I know I, I've got guests here. We need food. Luke 11. Father, please come. And the Father is smiling when you pray that way. JP, you got something? Yeah, it's, uh, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his imp- uh, impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Yes, he will do that because of persistence. So anyway, I just want to throw that out. If you pray for something a second time, it doesn't show that you weren't believing. Okay, we, we, Paul prayed three times for his thorn in the flesh to be removed. All right. So nothing wrong with persisting in prayer at all. But so why does he ask this again here? I think it's because he's been praying and it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. Okay, Father, I, my, my, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not being taught the word yet. I'm not, my eyes aren't opening yet. I'm, it's just words still. Help me. End of verse time, twenty-nine. Graciously, and this is a work of grace. I'm not. I don't deserve this from you. My goodness doesn't earn this from you. This is because of Jesus' mercy through the cross. Graciously teach me your law. So there's nothing wrong with repeating requests as long as it's from the heart and as long as as it's meaning, you you mean it. I mean, it's, it's really real to you. Tenth, he appeals to God not to let him fall into sin. I think that's what's going on in verses 30 and 31. Let me read them through, see if you agree. I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I think let me not be put to shame means don't let me fall into sin. Don't let me turn from you. Don't let me walk into the false way at this point. And and again, it's because when we're sorrowful, when we're discouraged, we are prey. We are easy prey for the prowling lion of Satan who's seeking to devour us. We are easier prey at that at that moment. And so he says, let me not be put to shame. Protect me from sin. But those first three phrases, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. He's not saying, you owe this to me. He's saying, Father, I, I mean this. I'm sincere. I'm fighting the fight of faith as best I can here. I'm not just off you know, being casual, saying, change my heart while I go off and do this and this and this. I'm here before you, Father. Help me. Protect me. Keep me from sin. Then 11th, last, he tells God he knows that God will change his heart. Verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. You will be faithful to me. You've promised that when we pray and open up the word and seek your face, you will enlarge our hearts. You'll enlarge faith. You'll enlarge hope. You'll enlarge love. You'll enlarge peace. My heart's like puny right now. It's a little bit of faith, a little bit of hope. You will enlarge my heart. You've promised to do this. And when you do, I'm going to run in your commandments. Change is coming. I'm not going to be limping on your, the path of your commandments. I'm not going to be like crawling on the path of your commandments. I'm going to be running in the path of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. It's a statement of confidence, trust that God will be faithful to his promises. That's where he ends.
Okay, so that's what he does. 11 points. Now, wouldn't that be powerful next time you are overwhelmed with sorrow or discouragement to take these verses out and just start to pray through them meaningfully, lingering, praying, meeting the Lord, seeking the Lord. I would encourage you all to do that. Now, what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning is pick out one of these things that he does. He actually repeats it twice. It's the step of of telling God what's going on in our hearts. I want to camp on that for the rest of our time this morning. That's the aspect that I think and I find many believers do not understand. And there's great benefit that is promised to doing that here in this passage. So let's, let's dig into it. Here's the next question. Why should we tell God what's going on in our hearts? Here's why I want to ask the question why, and I want to give you three reasons why. Because I want to persuade you. Some of you are already doing this. Some of you understand that this is what God encourages. This is what he loves. But others of you, it might feel really awkward for you to, to pray and to say, I'm really discouraged. You might think, why? Well, you know, I just, I just don't feel like right. Like, it's, it's wrong. I shouldn't be... Yes, but it's the reality of your heart. So God wants you to be doing that. So we feel awkward. Or we feel awkward thinking, my love for you, God, is real. It's just weak right now. I, I, I hardly have any faith at all right now. I'm not sure your promises are true right now. I don't see any hope for me right now. I'm overwhelmed with jealousy or with greed or lust or whatever it might be. But to come to God and to disclose the reality of your heart is what the psalmist does in these verses. And it feels awkward if you've never done this. Again, some of you do this all the time. I hope this will encourage you to press on even more. Others of you, this may sound very foreign and very strange. And so I hope to persuade you to to pursue it. So here's some reasons for why we should do this. First, we see it throughout the Bible. We've already seen it here in Psalm 119, right? Verse 25 My soul clings to the dust. Have you ever said that to God? Uh, My my soul is melting because of sorrow. That's what he does here in Psalm 119. So it's here, but it's throughout the Bible. Uh, For example, mm, uh, Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. Remember, Hannah uh, was not able to conceive and bear a child. And she longed for a child. And she was praying for a child. And what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 15, is that when she prayed, there's the phrase that she poured out her soul before the Lord. That is a very powerful picture. So here's Hannah's soul, okay? Discouraged, sorrowful, grieving. She's not been able to have a child And she longs. So there's grief, there's longing, there's disappointment, there's discouragement. That's her soul. And what does she do when she prays? She pours out her soul before the Lord. I'm discouraged. I'm longing. I'm disappointed. I long for a child, Father. So she takes the reality of her soul and expresses it to God by pouring it out before him. And you know the story. What does God do? God doesn't say you shouldn't be praying that way. He brings her a baby. Okay, now this doesn't guarantee, you know, that if you do that, exactly what you pray for, what we've talked about a theology of prayer before. I won't repeat it all right now. But it's clear that God has favor upon her prayer. God, she's praying rightly. Okay? Another example, just from Psalm 102. Let me read you a couple verses from Psalm 102. Imagine what you'd be feeling if, if you were praying. I think this is David praying. My heart 
is struck down like grass and has withered. How would you be feeling if you would pray that? My heart, it's like it's just been flattened, like the lawnmower is over it, the, the sun's baking on it. It's like it's been struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread because of my loud groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. Do you see what he's doing there? Father, here's what's going on. Do you do that when you pray? Do you tell God what's really going on? My enemies are deriding me. I, I, I can hardly eat. My heart feels like the lawnmower has gone over it and the sun's baking on it. Tell God what's going on. Now, I think one reason we hesitate to do that is because uh, we know God is holy. And we know that, as Habakkuk says, God is too pure to behold sin with favor. And so we sometimes feel like we've got to get our hearts changed and make sure we're free from sin before we come to God or something like that. But so I want you to understand that's totally wrong. Here's the truth of what the scripture teaches. No matter our sin... Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be assured of complete acceptance before God. No matter our sin, okay? Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be assured of complete acceptance before God. Ephesians 2.8, it's by grace that we are saved through faith. So my heart can be overwhelmed with worry about a situation which shows unbelief in my heart. Unbelief is sin, Okay, but I can look to Jesus and say, I trust you. I want to have my heart changed. Take this. I hate it. I hate my unbelief. I'm looking to you through the cross. And because I'm looking to Jesus, and I'm, I'm not sinless, but I'm looking to Jesus by faith. And because of that, I can be absolutely assured that sin was paid for on the cross. And I am clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. And so when God looks at me as I'm coming with unbelief in my heart, with worry, I don't, free me from this. But the Father sees me clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. And so he is running towards me with joy, just like the prodigal son's father was running towards him with joy. So you can come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what's going on in your heart. If you're saying, I want to be freed from this, I want to be freed from this, you can be completely assured that your sins are all forgiven, you're clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness, and he's running towards you with a big smile on his face. So that's the second reason you can do this, and we should do this, is because no matter our sin, through faith in Jesus Christ, through the cross, his blood, and his righteousness, we can turn to God and be completely assured that we're forgiven and that he is running towards us with joy. Third reason. It's because when we do this, God will answer us. Look at verse 26. Okay, When I told of my ways, you answered me. When did God answer him? When he told of his ways. Okay. What does it mean to tell God of his ways? Well, the previous verse he's talking about, my soul is clinging to the dust. And then in 28, my soul is melting because of sorrow. That's what I think it means to tell God of your ways. So when we, when we tell God honestly what is really happening in our hearts, he smiles he will answer us. And the reason is because we're being honest with him. 
We're not holding any part of our hearts back from him. We are bringing before him the most important issues to us. Okay? And we're trusting him. We're honest. I mean, if you had a friend who you thought, this, we're really close friends. We're, we're, we trust each other. We're tight. We're close. You know, we're, we're buds. And if this friend all of a sudden developed a strange pain in his side and had to go in for tests and, and he had some tests and doctors are concerned, it might be cancer, something serious like that. If this is all going on in your friend's life and you've and you'd had a couple of conversations face-to-face and your friend said, fine, how are you? Fine, how are you? You, you would wonder, I, I thought we had a relationship. I thought he trusted me. Right? And so if we have these huge issues in our hearts and we're coming to God pretending or like I shouldn't or whatever, it, that's not a trust relationship with the Lord. Let me tell you what, what Kate Neese mentioned to us, uh, Jan and me, Friday night. Kate and her husband are back taking care of two to three-year-olds. Okay, two to three-year-olds. Uh, I asked her if I could share this and she said, sure. So this was just a couple months ago. And they were going through some difficulties and some trials. David was sick with the flu. And uh, so he went to bed early one night. And, uh, and she realized that it had been a long time since she had really met the Lord in a deep, heartfelt, meaningful way. And so she pulled out her Bible and, and, and opened it up and started to pray. And, and as she did that, it dawned on her that there was a, an issue in her heart. There was a, a point of pain a point of struggle, a point of difficulty that for weeks she had not brought before the Lord and and laid at his feet and disclosed to him and asked him to help her with. And so she did that. She told God of her ways. She, she opened up about this issue, this point of pain. And she said, God powerfully met her that night. She told God of her ways, and he answered her. And she experienced his love, his assurance, uh, his comfort. She met the Lord powerfully. So I just want to encourage you. Make this a regular part of your prayer life. Again, if it feels awkward... Take heart. Just pray through Psalm 119, these verses, and then when you come to those parts, just tell the Lord what's going on in your heart. But before we wrap this up, let me just see if this has raised some questions. What are there some puzzlements about this? About what am I tracking with the scriptures here? Remember, the scriptures are the most important part. This is the authority here, not me. Uh, my job is to share with you what I think the scriptures are teaching, and then you got to look at the Word. Okay? Am I tracking? Is that what's going on here? Uh, and what questions about what does this mean? How do you live this out? So. Yes, sir. JP. We'll bring, we'll bring a mic up to you. Thanks, Jerry. In uh, verse 31, when it says, let me not be put to shame, um, you know, I also see that as um, how we appear before the other people in our lives. Um, you know, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I've set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies. I've done what you've asked. You know, I've followed you. Please don't make me regret this. <laughs> yeah, that, that certainly could be. Absolutely. Yes. That could be part of that before other people. Go ahead. And I see that because I struggle with, with my family and, and, and my faith. Um, I'm looked at as the, uh, the, we are looked at as kind of fanatics um, in my family. Mm, spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
special significance. <laughs> yes, yes. So you can pray that. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to trust you. Don't let me put to shame with my family. Have them see. Have them respond. Beautiful. Thank you. Kathy. Yes. Steve, I have two questions. Yes. Yes. Yeah, here's what I think it means. I think there are times when our hearts are not enlarged. They feel like there's this little tiny faith, tiny hope, tiny peace. And at those points in times, we can feel like nothing's going to change. I'm just really a weak Christian or whatever. And when we pray and ask God to strengthen us, when we open up the word and pray over the scriptures and the promises, he will Enlarge our hearts. Faith will increase. Peace will increase. Joy will increase. I think, does that make sense? I think that's what's going on here. And then when that happens, I'm going to run in the path of your, of your ways. What's the, what's the exact verse? I will run in the way of your commandments. So I'm not going to just, you know, I'm not going to crawl in the way of your commandments. I'm not going to limp or hobble. I'm going to be running when you enlarge my heart and you will. Is it, can somebody else help Kathy with that? Is that does that sound right? Ian, and then yes. Well, then we'll come back to your second question, Kathy. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. Of his prayer. Yes, and he knows it'll happen. Okay, Daniela. Uh, sorry. You were speaking about it and um, just envisioning it when I'm struggling with things and um, I'm having a hard time. I feel like my heart's being smushed. Like, smushed. It's, you know, when you smush something, you get smaller and it doesn't feel Yes. Yet when you're full of joy and excitement and you're um, overjoyed over something or looking forward to something, you just feel like free and yes. like there's space versus when you're struggling, you just feel like you're smushed. Smushed. And Shrinking. My heart so, is smushed. Some kind of ideas and you yeah, thank you. Yes. Good. Okay, and Kathy's second question. Yes. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Yes. And uh, um, I think that, I mean, in the bigger scheme of things, God has a plan for us. But in that short period of time, God doesn't answer the way that we would like to. So, how, I mean, how do you deal with that? Yes. How do you continue to have the faith that, okay, God has a bigger life, uh, uh, has other plan for us? Yes. Oh, that's a great question. Um. Just in a, in a nutshell, uh, I mean, take me. So I had a, a minor stroke January 1st, and I've lost some of my peripheral vision up here. And I know many of you have been praying, and I've prayed that God would restore that, and he has not yet restored it. Okay, And that's that has not been easy for me. He could. He could just say the word, boom, he'd be back. So then how do you deal with that? And uh, the way I deal with that, and I'd like to hear others help us here too, is that when, when we are, whenever we pray in Jesus' name, God always either gives us exactly what we're asking for or 
something even better. And one thing that we always know he will give us, which is the something better, is more of his nearness. And so I know the only reason, or at least the main reason, God would allow my vision to still be harmed is because in that trial, I'm going to experience even more nearness with Jesus Christ, even more closeness with him. And he is the joy of life. So the only reason God would not answer that prayer is because he has a a way he's going to bring me even more of the joy of life, which is knowing Jesus Christ. So that's what gives me hope and gives me strength when my prayers aren't answered. Um, Does somebody else want to to add to that? Maria? Maria's like... Tell us, Maria. Uh, last weekend, I took an exam, a major one, that oh. I've been studying really hard for. Okay. And I failed by one question. Oh. And um, I felt the Lord's presence with me during taking the exam. And um, after <laughs> seeing the fail, um, I, I was filled with sorrow and disappointment and betrayal. Yes, he is. And, and um, I have to believe that about him. Mm-hmm. And because and, um, when, when I was filled with sorrow, I, I have a hard time believing 
Mm-hmm. And I have to fight for joy. Yeah. I have to fight for, for him to fill me. Amen. And I, I'm glad that I, I went to him with my sorrow. I mean, in worship, I was sobbing. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> uh, but here it is, Lord. Yes. Beautiful. Okay, Kathy, does that help? Okay, that's all for our questions this morning. But thank you. <laughs> Excellent questions, and thanks for sharing. Um, so here's my encouragement to you. Uh, get get time with the Lord, where you uh, you open your heart up to Him, and everything that's important to you, everything that's causing you pain, everything that's difficult, bring it to Him and pray through these eight verses. The Lord will meet you. He loves you through Christ. He will be tender. He will be gentle. You will feel Him sorrowing with you. You will feel His strength. He will give He will give you hope. He will meet you. He's real through Jesus. You can meet the living God. And this is one of the most important steps to meet him because if we're hiding our hearts from him, then there's going to be a distance. So seek the Lord. Trust him through Jesus. Let's stand together. What an amazing God you are that because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his paying for our sins, because of his being punished in our place, We can be completely forgiven and clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness by faith alone. And so we can come to you with faith alone, by faith alone. And you always are running towards us with joy and with love and with acceptance. And so, Lord, thank you. That's the kind of God that you are. And I pray for each of us here that each of us this week would have time of deeply, meaningfully meeting you through faith in Jesus Christ, that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that we would would have our faith strengthened, that our hearts would be enlarged, that we would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you'd give us the peace that surpasses comprehension. Do all those things you've promised, Father, for us, I pray. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you that because of him we can come to you as we are and you will meet us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.